All right, well, we are in the middle of the Wanderlust series. This is uh, a word out there that is has uh, gotten some legs. It means basically a passion for life or a passion for the journey. And the theme of our uh, series is God wants us constantly moving. God wants us constantly moving. We are wired, designed for constant movement. In fact, I've been reading uh, a few things this week about our bodies being designed for constant movement. A lot of times in our workplace, we sit and we look at a screen. We go home after dinner, we sit and look at a screen, but then we exercise. And so, you know, maybe that hour of exercise will, you know, compensate for the 100 hours of sitting and watching a screen. Our bodies aren't designed for that. Our bodies are really designed for constant motion. Then exercise is kind of a bonus. So we're, we're kind of combating that given our new world um, of being designed to sit when our bodies are saying, no, we're designed to move. God wants us constantly moving. Our minds are designed for a constant challenge. Brain health is a big deal out there, and there's some controversy about brain health, but one thing everybody agrees on is if our minds are constantly challenged to pursue new things, different things, uh, to read, to stretch, if our minds are challenged, then we become mentally healthier. We are personally designed to move. There's been some great work in this, particularly by Eric Erickson. He's a psychologist who's developed this idea of psychosocial development, and he says we are on eight paths of psychosocial development. In other words, our lives are constantly on eight journeys forward, progressing. Don't have time to detail that, but it's interesting stuff. Our families are designed for constant movement. There are roughly eight stages of development in our youth. There are roughly nine stages of parenting in different ways. There are seven stages of marriage. These stages are, are really allowing us to grow. So if you have four kids like us in the crazy club, um, you've got kids that are in different phases of being kids. You've got our parenting is different for each child. And then you have a marriage that is in one of seven different stages of marriage. There's a lot of stages and a lot of growth going on. And welcome to the party in the Treadway house. I mean, it's just always moving forward. There's also a journey in our walk with God. Our walk with God is designed to always move forward. I love the way the apostle Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, when I was a child, I talked like a child, thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. There's a journey forward in our walk with God. Now we see but a poor reflection in a mirror. Later we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Later I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. So this leader of the early church says, my walk with God is constantly moving forward from immaturity to maturity, from not knowing much to knowing more, from not seeing much to seeing more. So we're always moving forward. This is God's design. Towards what destination? We started this series four weeks ago with Romans 8, 29. For those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. We're on a journey towards Christ-likeness. That's the wanderlust. That's the passion. God, would you allow me the wonderful privilege of living more and more like Jesus? And even though that's a big concept, we've been distilling this down to a tangible bite-sized chunk. By God's grace, by God's spirit, and the encouragement of God's people, we can live a little more like Christ tomorrow than we did today. That's the journey. The lust for the journey is to become more and more like Christ every single day. Over the past couple of weeks, we talked about the, necess the necessary elements of that, being grounded in grace, being connected in community, and last week we talked about being strengthened to serve. As we journey towards the likeness of Christ, it's a journey of grace, it's a journey of connection relationally, and a journey towards service. This is the road we're on. 1 Corinthians 3.9 says we are God's fellow workers. God wants us partnering with him together to advance the cause of Christ. 
Now, the cause of Christ, we studied in detail last week. Jesus makes it very clear. He says, I'm coming to bring a whole new world, an entirely new reality. That's all. A whole new world that's not driven by selfishness or greed or hate or by my own passions, but a whole new world that is driven by kindness, love, grace, mercy, compassion, selflessness. This is the new world that Jesus wants to see emerge right here and right now. And he says, I want fellow workers to partner with me in this. So today we're gonna encourage each other to make a move. Make that next move in your journey to become more and more like Jesus Christ. I'm gonna give you a quote from a, a columnist and a blogger. His name is Thomas Upong. And he writes prolifically about entrepreneurialism and the drive to do something new. But he's also a student of culture, and I love how he puts this. It's a little long, but hang, hang with me. It's good stuff. He says, welcome to the new age. And he's talking about really the information age and the reality that it's the 10th year anniversary of the iPhone. Can you believe it? Just 10 years? I mean, it sounds like just an incredible, it feels like 300 years. How, how could we ever imagine life without this thing? It's just 10 years old. So this new age that he's talking about is like the last several days. <laughs> the new reality of our connectedness is incredible. In this phone contains virtually the entire information of all the world. Right here. In this phone. I mean, it's all in there. In this phone contains virtually every human being on the planet. They all fit right here. We are connected. That's a whole new age. A moment in time when each of us has more resources, more reach, and more impact, more degrees of freedom, and more opportunity than ever before to pr pursue something meaningful. With this power, of course, comes the responsibility to actually create. He says, listen, it's great that we have all this technology. It's great that we have all this information. It's great that we're connected. But now let's actually create. Let's actually make a move. Let's actually do something to make or do something you deeply care about. He says, people are now empowered to express themselves more than ever. The opportunities to create, to become a part of a global conversation and transformation are now more than you can imagine. Now, here's the punchline. Many people succeed at the daily rush of life, but never accomplish their most important work. I'm going to read it again. It's a big deal. Many people succeed at the daily rush of life, but never accomplish their most important work. Now, we know the daily rush of life. We're all good at the daily rush of life. Whether you're a student, newly married, family person, career, school, whatever it is, you know the daily rush of life. You're not going to wake up tomorrow going, hmm, I've got nothing to do this week. How can I possibly fill my time? No, you got it going. You know the daily rush of life. But just because you're busy doesn't mean you're doing life's most important work, right? So what is life's most important work? To me, there's three things. Loving your family is number one. If you're not loving your family, dedicated to loving your family, and growing in your love for family, then you might be busy, but you're not doing life's most important work. I'd put behind that, this isn't necessarily in particular order, but the greater good. You're involved in the greater good. If you have a job, you're involved in the greater good. Whatever you're doing, you're selling a product, you're, you're solving a problem, you're making something that makes life a little easier, your vocation is involved in the greater good, and that matters a lot right? Stay-at-home mothering, whether if you're retired, you're still involved in the greater good. That's awesome. You're contributing. But I would also put on that list advancing the cause of Christ. Advancing the cause of Christ is our greater good. What are we doing to move forward God's agenda through Jesus, and Jesus says through his church, we're making this world a better place. 
We're turning this world from, you know, hate, greed, selfishness to something incredible. Love, grace, mercy, forgiveness. God wants to use us to advance that cause. This is the greater work. So the question for us today is, are you accomplishing your most important work? Are you accomplishing your most important work? How you live your life, is the busyness of your life funneling you towards your most important work, or are you just busy? And maybe busyness isn't the goal. Maybe it's a very smart use of our time and our resources and our connectivity to see to it that the cause of Christ is advanced. Are you accomplishing your most important work? If the answer is yes, awesome. We need to learn from you. If your answer is I'm not sure or maybe not, then I think our next 17 minutes together might be pretty important. There are five decisions you can make to make that next move forward, to make a move forward. There's five decisions, and they are in order. And as we go through these five, just maybe you could say to yourself, okay, that's the one I need to make. That's the decision I need to make, and maybe today's the day to make it. I don't know. Number one, first decision is a time to believe. Maybe your next move forward is simply believing in Jesus Christ. Now, you might think to yourself, well, hey, I'm in church, aren't I? I'm not talking about going to church. I'm talking about believing in Jesus. There's a, there's a difference. Sometimes there's a big difference. I am telling you, I meet people all the time who have been in church their whole life who don't know what it's like to truly believe in God's love through Jesus Christ. Church life, we talk about this a lot around here, church life can be like a hamster wheel where you are hustling, hustling. I've been on it before. You're, you're hustling, you're going. But you're not going anywhere, right? You're going nowhere. That's kind of church life and religion for, for a lot of people. It's a lot of work. Here's what you're not doing right. Here's what you got to do right. You work, you hustle, you get better, and then God will like you. God will love you. God will answer prayers. God will get you to heaven. That's a hamster wheel of religion. And it might be a hamster wheel in a Christian church. I have met so many people who have been born and raised in Christian churches who do not believe in Jesus Christ. It's a different thing. And in fact, what Jesus wanted to do was to get us off the hamster wheel of religion and get us to believe in him. The hamster wheel of even the Christian religion will say, here's what you have to believe, have to do, have to not do in order to earn something from God. Believing in Jesus says he did all the work. He did all the work, all of it. I don't have to do anything. Jesus did everything. That's belief in Jesus Christ. If we say, you know what, I've got to keep on this hamster wheel of good works, obey the commandments, make God happy, all the disciplines, I have to work, work, work to get God to like me, that's not placing our total faith in Jesus. Now, we may have a, a, a sense of Jesus, but it's like Jesus plus me equals my own salvation. No. Get rid of the me part. Jesus did everything for us. That's the message of the gospel. That's the good news. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us. I don't have to forgive myself or clean myself up. Jesus did it all. Jesus rose again from the dead to give me new and eternal life. I don't have to work for that. Jesus did it all. So for some of you, it's time to maybe get off the religious hamster wheel and just simply believe in Jesus. It's a lot more fun <laughs> over here. The religious hamster wheel is heavy, a heavy, heavy burden. Jesus says, hey, listen, follow me. My burden is easy and light. Following Jesus, believing in Jesus is easy and light. Religious people say, oh, well, see, you're a compromiser. It's easy. It shouldn't be easy. It should be this, oh, heavy, nasty, gross, you know, work, work, work. No, that's just not what it's about. Believing in Jesus sometimes means getting sort of off that religious churchy hamster wheel. Jesus was hanging out with Martha. 
Martha was a good friend of Jesus. Martha's brother arguably was one of Jesus' best friends. His name was Lazarus. Lazarus died. Jesus was not in town. Lazarus died. Jesus comes to see Martha three days later, and you can just kind of imagine Martha's eyes still red with tears. Maybe Jesus' eyes red with, with tears. There's a grief that they shared with each other. Now, Martha had been hanging around with Jesus a very long time. That didn't necessarily mean she believed. So Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Then what does Jesus say? Do you believe? They'd been hanging out for years. Best friends for years. Just because they were hanging out didn't mean that Martha came to a point where she believed that Jesus was the light of the world, that he brought life to all mankind, that he was the savior, that he was the forgiver. The very next verse, she says, yes, I believe. You are the savior. You're the forgiver. You're the son of God. And she believed in Jesus. Then Jesus did an amazing work of bringing life to the dead. And Jesus still does that today. There's a deadness in this whole religious idea. Jesus says, it's time to believe and it's time to live. So maybe for you today, today's the day, and we'll have a little prayer at the very end, a simple prayer of belief. Maybe today's the day you make a move to believe. Secondly, make a move to be baptized. Uh, there's this pattern in the Bible. Believe and be baptized. Now, believing is where that saving grace just floods into our life, and we know the love of God through Jesus Christ, but that next thing to do is to be baptized. Uh, it's sort of like a wedding. You love each other, you're committed to each other, but that wedding is that public profession of your love for one another, right? Bat baptism is the same way. It's a public profession that I have been cleansed by Christ. That's why we use water, cleansing. And I've been raised to a whole new life in Jesus Christ. That public profession through baptism uh, means a lot. It means a lot. It doesn't save you. It doesn't seal you. It's just a public profession that is very important. It says to the world, I belong to Christ. It says to the world, I am forgiven by him and, and him alone. Maybe today's the time to be baptized. Galatians 3.26 says this, you are all children of God through faith. So our relationship with God is sealed by faith alone. All of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Baptism is that symbol that I've been forgiven by Christ and raised to a new life. And so now God looks at me the same way he looks at Jesus Christ. God looks at Jesus Christ as perfect. He looks at us as perfect. We've been cleansed through Christ. The symbol of that is baptism. God looks at Jesus Christ as a dearly loved son, so he looks at us as a dearly loved son and daughter. We are clothed with Christ. Baptism is the symbol of that. So maybe today is your time to make a move to believe. Maybe it's your day to make a move to be baptized. Third, maybe it's your time today to make a move to connect, to connect. Jesus Christ calls a community together. He doesn't call us just to a one-on-one -on -one relationship. He calls us to a community. And so he says this in John 13. This is the Last Supper. John 13, 34, Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. He says it three times. In Hebrew culture, if you repeat yourself once, wow, you're to be taken very seriously. So whenever Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, everybody's paying attention. Jesus is serious. He says it twice. If he says it three times in a row, it's like all capsing an email. Like, okay, I get it. He is very serious. Three times, love one another, love one another, love one another. Why was he so serious here? Because 12 hours later, he was dying on a cross as the greatest expression of love in human history. 
He says it's all about love. It is all about love. Jesus says you don't have to worry so much about the Ten Commandments, the Mosaic Law, all the Old Testament commandments. Jesus says, I got that covered. Every time you failed, I got that covered. By my blood shed for you, I have forgiven you. I've got that covered. I lived a perfect life for you. Don't worry about managing the Ten Commandments. Don't worry about managing the Old Testament Mosaic laws. Don't worry about that. But I'm going to leave you with one thing I really want you to consider. And one thing I really want you to take seriously. Love one another. Love one another. Love one another. It's powerful. He calls us to be a community of love. A community of love. But that sometimes is is very difficult for us. It's very difficult sometimes for us to, to love because Love is spelled T-I-M-E. One of my mentors drilled that into my head in high school. Love is spelled T-I-M-E. Love can only be felt with time. Love can only be expressed with time. So because we have our, our devices and we're all well connected, sometimes we are connected more broadly than ever before, but maybe more thinly than ever before. Real love is, is, is really experienced by an investment of time, time together. So Jesus says, listen, I've called you to be a community of love. And, and, and yes, we gather together on Sundays, and this is important, and this is good. But Sundays is about an hour and seven minutes, give or take, uh, of, of this. It's, it's just kind of, it's worship together and message together. It's not really friendship together. Sometimes it t- takes place out there. But most of the time, our friendships takes place in small groups. That's when we really connect with each other. Now, um, loneliness is really on the rise globally. And the most lonely community on earth possibly is in Japan. Japan was the forerunner when it comes to information technology, right? They embraced the the information culture, the information age. They developed the technology largely in the early years for the uh, technological age. And what has happened in Japan, not just because of this, there's some cultural issues as well. They have become what's called the lonely nation. In fact, in the Japanese Times not too long ago, they called their own country a dark country headed for a darker future because of loneliness. Get this. In 10 years, half of Japanese households will consist of a single person. Half. You go to a Japanese city, look at all the apartments and homes, just think to yourself, half of those homes have one person in it. A new word has been invented in Japanese, kozoku, it means lonely in group. There's a lonely culture that is emerging in Japan. In Japan, the number one determination of your value is your work, not necessarily your relationships. Outside of work, more time is spent on digital platforms than human contact. Relationships and sex in Japan are often virtual fantasy worlds. Japanese women cannot find men to have conversations with. Men do not have the ability to have conversations in Japan. It's decreasing because their whole life is here. You're here looking at a screen. It's your work, it's your entertainment, it's your social life, it's all here. So the idea of sitting alongside of a human being having a meaningful conversation, that is an art that is being lost in Japan. There are rent-a-friend sites that are popping up in Japan. $28 an hour, uh, $56 for the first hour, you can rent somebody who will pretend to be your friend. There are Japanese restaurants that have large stuffed animals to sit next to you so you don't feel like you're alone. There are giant chairs that you can sit into for a price. You sit in a a chair with a a huge mannequin and two heavy arms that you wrap around so you can feel the sense of being hugged. 
Japanese men are buying virtual wives, six-inch-tall holograms to sit on their table. They have conversations with them. These wives uh, text them and um, tell them what to do every day. <laughs> Japanese women are having to build connections, friendships, and businesses without men. Most sadly, and this is terribly, terribly heartbreaking, because most households are, in Japan are becoming just one person there is the, a dying alone epidemic in Japan. The average time in some cities that it takes to, to um, from the time a man dies to the time his body is found is 12 days. For women, it's six and a half days. There are now teams in Japan that go in and clean up the mess. It is horrific what is happening. It is a country of loneliness. It's on the rise. Now, fortunately, uh, the Japanese seem to be noticing that and really struggling to counterbalance that because Japan is at a tipping point in marriage rates and birth rates. The Japanese culture is existentially at risk not too many decades from now. Now, thankfully, that trend is, uh, is, hasn't taken as root as deeply, but you can see in our own culture that friendships are declining, relationships are in decline, intimacy in marriages is declining, our own neighborhood dynamics are becoming more isolated. We're not even enjoying the idea of a neighborhood much anymore. So we're going to go from a little serious tone to a little more levity uh, about the uh, nature of neighborhoods and uh, how it's changed. Let's take a look. I was sitting in my house a couple weeks ago, just relaxing. My doorbell rang. This is weird. It's a different feeling when your doorbell rings today opposed to 20 years ago, right? 20 years ago, your doorbell rang? That was a happy moment in your house. It's called company. You'd be sitting there on a Thursday night watching TV. Your doorbell rang, the whole family shot off the couch. Oh my God! Put the lights on, somebody's here. We got people. I, the whole family went to the door. The kids were in socks, they slid up to the door. <laughs> Nobody looked to see who it was. All right, you just opened up the door, you were like, oh my God, look at that. <laughs> look at who's here. And the person would be like, I was in the neighborhood. <laughs> I might stop by, see how the kids are doing. They're like, oh, come on in. We're gonna have some cake. Your mother had a little Anthemans. Maybe some Sara Lee crumble cake. Just in case company came over. She put her cake in the middle of the table, proud of it. And she put it right in the middle. Cut yourself a slice. Want a cup of coffee? We're gonna do coffee. Want some Sanka? <laughs> yeah, that's old school. A lot of the young kids are looking at me like, what is that, an iPhone app? <laughs> Nobody had a cell phone back then. If your, cell, if, your, if, your, if your house phone did ring, your father stood up and said, nobody get that phone. We got company. <laughs> Now your doorbell rings?
Right, your own mother's crawling across the kitchen floor. Get down, my army crawl. Army crawl, get in the closet. Go get the sword in the living room. Somebody get the sword underneath the couch in the living room. There's a sword. Right, you have to turn and ask your family, you invite anybody over? You invite anybody over. Oh God, I gotta open it. I got no cake, I got no sink, I got nothing. I got nothing for these people. You can't stop by anybody's house anymore. If you do, you have to call from the driveway. You're like, I'm here, can I approach? It's me and three other people. We're gonna walk up through this side. Is that your mother with a sword? Why did you have a sword? All right, yeah, tons of fun. Our sense of connection and time together is growing more thin and more thin. And so we wanna say as a church, hey, it is time to connect. Maybe for some of you, today is about belief. Maybe some of you is about baptism. Maybe some of you is about connecting. You come to Rancho. Maybe this is your church. It is great to be at church. We rally together around God's word and our mission together. But making friends with one another in a Christ-centered relationship on this journey towards Christ-likeness is so important. We've got incredible things happening right outside today. We're focusing big time on youth ministries. If you have got a, a, a child, middle school, uh, high school, get them plugged in. We've got great teams so they can have that sense of being together on their journey towards Christ-likeness. We've got uh, our young adult ministries are blowing up. They're going great. Uh, one of them is called 1823, a young adult ministry from 18 to 23-year-olds. Young professionals, those who have careers, uh, maybe they're out of college, young professional uh, ministry. Young marrieds, that's a great time, wonderful time of new relationships, but also to be together is, is incredible. Mom to mom, we're doubling mom to mom. My wife leads that. It filled up just like that last uh, year with about 100 women. And so this year we're uh, having two groups, Wednesday group and a Thursday group. Uh, moms, you need that connection, right? Moms, you need that time. Your kids are taken care of. You need that time just with each other to build that connection, to build that camaraderie, to build that relationship. And it's not just for young mothers. It's for mothers of all ages who have been there and done that. We even have uh, mature adults coming to be uh, mentor moms to really walk alongside these moms. Mom to mom is out there. We have a brand new 40s and 50s ministry. This is, this is my you know, posse, uh, where your kids are older, teenagers, you're heading towards uh, empty nest, brand new groups. We have dozens and dozens of ways to connect in small groups, hundreds of small groups, uh, just tailor-made for you and your seasoned life. So maybe today is a time for you to connect. Uh, fourth, there's a time to serve. At some point you say, I, I'm coming to Rancho, I'm connected with friends, and now it's time for me to serve. Now it's time for me to help to give back. Galatians 3, uh, uh, 5.13 says this, you, my brothers, were called to be free. We're free from the hamster wheel, right? We're free to enjoy being loved by God, but how do we use that freedom? Do not use your freedom to indulge in the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. We are free. We're free from the law. We're free from guilt, manipulation, threats, right? Now what are we going to do with that freedom? We are free to invest our life in ourselves. We're totally free to do that. And there's nothing really wrong with that, you know, to pursue our best. No problem with that. Our family, our career. But at some point, we get to a spot where we say, okay, I'm going to give outside of myself. I want to serve outside of myself. I want to serve to advance the cause of Christ, to live for the glory of God and the benefit of other people. Now's the time to serve. We have two big areas of emphasis for serving. We are placing tons of focus, as you know, on next generation. 
Uh, with this new children's ministry here in the West Campus starting September 10th, we expect our children's ministry to double. We need double the volunteers. And our children's ministry is not about daycare while the adults go to church. It really is about a gospel community, a good news, grace-based community of love with our kids. Our kids are understanding that their relationship with God is not because they're good boys or good girls. I'm telling you, most church life and most, you know, even Christian school life is about here's good, here's bad, do good, be blessed, do bad, be cursed. That's just normal stuff. That's not what happens here in our next generation ministries. It is gospel-centered, grace-based, so kids grow up knowing the love of their parents and knowing the love of God that gets them on a good footing. So maybe you might want to volunteer in our new children's ministry. Um, Brian Phillips is our high school, our middle school pastor who's been here a year. He's doing amazing work. Our brand new high school pastor, they're at high school camp right now. Just building that relationship with our new high school pastor. He needs some help. He's going to build a whole high school movement here for our church and for the community. And uh, so to have, uh, uh, his, uh, have your support would be wonderful. Also, First Impressions is a great way to volunteer. Uh, for those of you who are pleasant and kind, it's not all of you, but for those of you who are pleasant and kind, First Impressions. Uh, we want people to come onto our campus. It's a kind of a sprawling campus. They're going to go to immediately to these new orange tents and orange flags at, at both parking lots. And there they will be met with hosts. And those hosts will say, hey, welcome to Rancho. Uh, what are the age of your kids? Where are they getting plugged in? And we will walk with them. Every new family, walk with them to the nursery, to the children's program. There's the middle school room. Uh, which service are you going to? There's your service. And to make sure that they are well taken care of by hosts. When they get here, they are warmly welcomed by greeters and ushers who make sure they have a great hospitable experience. It's an easy way to serve because you're already here. Just show up a little bit early or stay a little bit late. You can volunteer either at Next Generation, First Impressions, or any other of our hundreds of opportunities to serve out there today. And then finally, uh, this might be your time to lead. This might be a time to believe, be baptized, be connected, serve. It might be your time to lead. Studies indicate that 10% of us are born to lead. 10% of us come out of the womb just ready to hard charge. When are we starting a business? Let's gather a team. Let's go accomplish something great, right? About 10% of people are born to lead. I was not born to lead. I was one of those people who just said, hey, I'm not the take charge type. I'm more of an introvert. I'd rather just kind of be more behind the scenes. That was me. That's definitely my wife, right? So both of us are, are, are kind of wired to be in the background. But when I was in high school, I stepped up to lead in middle school, and it radically changed my life. Uh, my wife, when she was in college, stepped up to lead her college ministry. And even though that was a stretch for both of us, God did great things. So some of you might be wired to lead and say, hey, let's go. Some of you might not be wired to lead, but God might be nudging you saying, hey, listen, there's something that could really use your attention, something in the kingdom of heaven, something for the cause of Christ, some need out there that could use you stepping up to lead others. There are, uh, there's this great example of the Apostle Paul raising up this young man, Timothy, in 1 Timothy 4, 14. Uh, his leader says, do not neglect your gift, which was given to you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to your leadership so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, get this, you will save both yourself and your hearers. The Apostle Paul is saying to this young leader who has just stepped up and say, I'm going to lead. He's saying, listen, if you let God work in your life to lead, something will happen. You will enjoy an incredible growth and your hearers will enjoy incredible growth. Powerful things happen if you step up and lead. 
But as we talked about last week, it is scary to lead. It's scary to lead. It's scary to step up and to say, hey, I don't know what I have to offer. I may not think I have to offer much, but I'm going to step up and I'm going to volunteer to lead people. Not to just serve. That's wonderful. That's the lifeblood of the church. But there will be a few of you who step up and to say, today's the day for me to lead. And maybe go to a ministry leader outside and say, hey, I want to be a, a facilitator and a host. These, this is a huge need right now. The growing church, we want people connected. We need people to open up their homes uh, and to say, hey, listen, people can meet here. Of every, every, demo, every demographic, whatever you want to lead, of every demographic, we can form a group for you to lead. For you to open up your house or for you to lead a, a small group or a tables group in men's and women's and midweek ministries here on campus or at your house to be a facilitator and host, I guarantee you, you go to Laura Lynn and say, hey, I want to be a facilitator and host so that I can get a group of people and we will kind of get to know each other, build some friendships, walk with God's word together. Uh, we will move heaven and earth to make sure that that ministry is perfectly tailored uh, for God's calling in your life. Maybe you can go another step further and join a volunteer pastor cohort. Every single ministry department has a volunteer pastor cohort. Our volunteer pastors not only lead small groups, but they're trained to study God's word, handle God's word, teach God's word. They're trained to counsel people when, when things are tough. Uh, and then if the opportunity arises, they are trained to perform weddings, funerals, baptisms. I mean, we've got 150 uh, volunteer pastors that we have ordained here. And these men and women are absolutely phenomenal people doing phenomenal things. So maybe whether you're born to lead or want to lead, there's an opportunity for you. Those are the, the five decisions you can make today. Maybe today is the day of belief, baptism, right out there in our baptism pool. Maybe today is the day to connect whether through this card in your bulletin or outside today, you'll connect in a small group. Maybe today's the day to serve. Maybe today's the day for you to lead. But maybe today's the day for you to make a move. Any chess players in here? I play chess very, very casually and very, very poorly. Part of it, part of it is I can't, I can't wait that long to make a move. <laughs> it's like, you just gotta go. And I don't know enough to, to make short moves well. So, um, but you got to make a move. Sometimes waiting to make a move, the other guys, you know, dude, it's been 15 minutes. Make a move. We play a, a game called, um, oh gosh, what's it called? It's a word game. Uh, anyhow, who cares? But you have to identify various words. I think it's even here in my notes. Who cares? Nobody cares. Um, <laughs> I care now. It's absolutely driving me crazy. So you're looking at all these words. You got to make connections. The, the problem with that game is it, there's no time limit on when you make a move. So we actually, before we play that game, we have to plan activities as a family in order to play a game because as you're waiting for the other person to make a move, you can go make a sandwich, make dinner, make a pizza, waiting for the other person to move. At some point, waiting to move just is over. And you say, you know what? It's time. It's time. It's time for me to place my faith in Christ. It's time for me to get baptized. It's time for me to make connections and to make friendships around here. It's time for me to serve. It's time for me to lead. Today is the day to make a move. And we have everything out there for you. We've even got tacos. We've got snow cones. We've got everything out there to make sure that today's the day to make a move, to connect or to serve. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the time today. The time that we have today to worship you, to look into your word, the time that we have to really consider the journey that you have us on. And God, the, these journeys sometimes are complicated as uh, circumstances hit our lives for the good and for the bad. 
They're complicated in that we have a lot going on. We are, are busy with work and with family. So God, I pray that you would allow us the space to, to think about whether or not we're just busy or whether or not we are really accomplishing our life's greatest work. And I pray that perhaps some here today would make that next step to believe, to just get off that hamster wheel of religion and, and, and church life and to, to rest and to place our faith and trust in you. Your word is very clear. We are saved by grace through faith alone in Christ, not of our works. So God, we believe in Jesus Christ. We believe that the cross of Christ was sufficient to forgive us of everything we've ever done and ever will do. We are in an unbroken and unbreakable relationship with you, our Heavenly Father, through Christ and Christ alone by his death and resurrection. We believe in him. For some here, it might be the day of their baptism where they will walk right out of here to be baptized in a way that symbolizes that we are cleansed by Christ and raised to a new life. God, I pray that today for many, many people, it would be a time to connect. It would be a time to go out and to, um, and, and to join a group and to build great friendships and to walk life and faith together. It might be a time today for many people to serve, to give back, or even to step up and to lead others. God, do your work according to your will in every life here. In Christ's name we pray, and everybody said, amen.